I had a wonderful weekend and, as usual, came back to the garden in New Jersey to many surprises. But I'm going to tell you about that and more on Kendrew's Real Dirt today. This last weekend, I spent the entire weekend uh, helping the friends of the Taconic State Park raise some money in Copake Falls, New York. I was invited by garden guru and great gardener Margaret Roach, who helps to spearhead this entire event, an annual event, Copake Falls Day. And she invited me to give a lecture and to have a workshop on propagation. Uh, some of the fundraising for uh, of the event went to help save the ruins of the iron ore blast furnace uh, of the Copac Iron Works, and that's an an amazing structure. It's a furnace, and it has all these multi layers of brick, and then the outside is rustic stone, and I, it, it's hard to believe this thing existed. But it does, and it was uh, kind of falling apart, and they decided in Copake Falls to try to help protect and save this unique structure. Built in 1872, uh, it's about 30 feet square at its base, and it's, as I mentioned, made from brick and also built with marble stone from Dover in Dutchess County and it's about 32 feet high. In its day, it employed about 50 people, and it consumed about 8,000 tons of iron ore, which was mined locally, uh, 1,200 tons of limestone, and about 450,000 bushels of charcoal. The purpose of the furnace was to convert cast iron into wrought iron. You can see a photograph of the iron ore furnace, uh, at kendrews.com along with some other photographs of things I experienced over this wonderful weekend. Taconic State Park is located along 16 miles of the Taconic mountain range and shares a border with Massachusetts and Connecticut. And right next to Copake Falls and the falls that Copake Falls are named for is Bashbish Falls. And that's in the extreme southwest corner of Massachusetts uh, in a cluster of state parks noted for their spectacular scenery and breathtaking views. Uh, Bashbish Falls is the highest single drop waterfall in the state. The water cascades and tumbles through a series of gorges uh, and into a hemlock hardwood ravine and then drops about 60 feet into a icy cold sparkling pool below. Uh, not only was there the lecture at the Church of St. John in the Wilderness, uh, an incredible, beautiful Borden-Batten building from the late 19th century, uh, there was nature craft activities and food, lots of food, and there were also garden tours, secret garden tours, and of course the most popular garden tour of all, which benefited not only uh, the Taconic State Park and Copake Falls Day, but also the Garden Conservancy was a tour of Margaret Roach's own garden, which is always popular. I think she, she said she had something like four to five hundred visitors, and that's pretty amazing for an August garden tour. Uh, the garden was spectacular. I, <laughs> you know how we gardeners are. We apologize constantly, and of course Margaret did too, but for August it looked just great. 
Friends of mine who came for the day said that they were surprised how different Margaret's garden looked in person compared to the way it looked in a lecture they saw a while back. Well, photos are deceptive, that's what they thought, but it wasn't just the photos being different than the garden. The garden is different, and much different from when I saw it last a few years ago. Her driveway is gone. It's now patio and garden. The walk to her front door has been taken over by plantings, well, it was years ago. Margaret also lost about 20 shrubs and trees last year in the snowstorm. Now, I'm sure she knows where every single one of those plants was, but of course garden visitors don't, and the garden looked full and voluptuous to me, and to all the visitors. Now, Margaret's popular website, one of the most visited of all garden sites, is awaytogarden.com, all run together, awaytogarden.com. Well, I looked at the site this morning, Monday morning, and she had already posted about the garden tour, and she wrote about the most asked question. But before I tell you what the most asked question in the garden was, I'm going to tell you about the most asked plant. Which plant was most asked about? The one that everyone seemed to notice and be thrilled with and ask questions about, and it's a little bit surprising. I had a chance to talk to Margaret about this and about uh, all things horticultural after the tour, and I always learn so much from Margaret, and she knows so much about gardening and the garden world and has so much philosophy about gardening and thoughts about the garden world and thoughts even about the garden industry. And the plant that people ask about most was Salix eleagnus angustifolia, the rosemary willow, a plant that I used to know as Salix rose, rosemarinifolia because the foliage looks like it's willowy and it's silver and it kind of looks like rosemary foliage like needles but they're they're longer but it's a beautiful beautiful big shrub small tree and like all willows you can just trim it to any size you want and it'll push new growth so you can always keep that beautiful new foliage coming and also keep the plant as small or let it be as large as you want it to be uh, and as I said, with silvery foliage that is always moving in the breeze and people just stop and stare. And we talked about this because this is not a plant that you can find. You can't find it at the nursery. And it's not certainly not because it's hard to grow. It's because it doesn't look like that much in a nursery container. And to sell to the public, plants have to be showy. They usually have to be in flower and they usually have to be in flower in spring even if they're forced into flower, if they're later summer bloomers, because by August, people don't visit the garden center that often. Most of the shopping, most of the shopping actually takes place on Mother's Day. So we were talking about how that's a problem with the industry and how color sells. So a plant that's fantastic and has beautiful foliage, and the plant that was most asked about on the tour by visitors just isn't available. You might be able to find it from a from a mail order source, but you're not going to see it at your local nursery or garden center because it's not brilliantly orange or in super bloom and certainly not at the box stores. Who would buy a plant in a quart pot or a gallon pot that might be one foot tall with some shaggy silver foliage? Well, I would and have. I have that plant too. 
but it's something you might see at a public garden and something you would see at Margaret Roach's garden. And of course, if you're garden touring, be sure to have that notebook with you and pencil and write down the names of the new plants that you see that you might want to grow in your own garden, things that turn you on. And in the case of Margaret's garden, that was just about the most popular plant and the most asked about plant. But the most asked about things in Margaret's garden, people ask, what are the chairs in your garden? Margaret has several chairs in some wonderful colors. There's a deep red and a fantastic chartreuse that just, well, they're so arresting. Of course, it's asked about. And people would like to maybe have those, those chairs for their own gardens. And Margaret explains that they are modified from the Wave Hill chairs. The chairs that you can see at Wave Hill, the garden in the Bronx in New York City, uh, the world-famous garden, and those chairs are all around Wave Hill. Margaret has lots of photos of the chairs on her website and also a link on how to get plans if you'd like to have those chairs made for your own garden, or you can also have them made by Wave Hill. But the plans, I think, are, well, they're less than $20 for the plans, and you can have them made out of cedar, which I think Margaret's are, and hers are painted, and she talks all about how how the paint is done and so that they really last through the season. And I suspect she moves them into the garage for the winter because uh, I, too, have Wave Hill chairs. And uh, the first set I had didn't last very long. And the second set I had, uh, which I made out of a longer-lasting wood, those, too, have sort of decayed. Uh, but I don't have a garage that I can store them in. But it's, it's certainly worth visiting Margaret's fantastic site. Now, to change the subject a bit, do you remember the movie Alien? In the movie Alien, we were introduced to yet another invasive species. Uh, that one had invaded human beings. But when I got back from my weekend in Copake Falls, I came back to a big surprise. Uh, also with a monster, but a different kind of monster, and actually one that's not an alien. And we call this creepy plant Dodder. It's a member of the Morning Glory family. It has no chlorophyll. It's a parasite that attacks plants at lightning speed, and I'm not kidding. I was gone from the garden in New Jersey for about a week, and I haven't been as ambulatory as I wish I had been. But uh, the canal garden, which used to be one of my favorite parts of the entire property, uh, after the floods, it was pretty much destroyed. And the weeds came. And along with the weeds, the daughter came. And I didn't really notice the daughter in the, among the weeds in the canal garden, because now the canal garden is really just full of five-foot-tall weeds. But yesterday I went out and noticed some daughter and looked a little closer and noticed that there was tons of daughter all over all of the weeds. And daughter... It's a vine. It looks for a host. It starts to twine around the host, and then it pushes suckers into the growing stems and uh, just uses the host, and then it flowers, and then it it uh, fruits and sets seeds. I hope not. Well, even though I can't get around as much as I want to for a while recovering from surgery, I did uh, pull as much as I possibly could from the garden. Well, daughter is a genus of about 100 to 170 species, and it's uh, usually yellow or orange or red. 
Uh, and the one that we know is the one in North America, which is orange, bright orange. The stems, and there really are only stems, are bright orange. The flowers are tiny and white. And it's, it's a particularly striking example of plant life. The parasite lives off other plants, and instead of waiting around for a suitable host, the vine hunts one down. And coincidentally, there's an article in a recent Scientific American magazine, and I'm going to have a link to that article on the website page, that investigates, well, it, it investigates daughter and how it works, but it also uh, brings together some of the research over the last 10 years of daughter and, and other plants. But daughter, uh, it's claimed in the article, which documents research at Penn State University, young plants of daughter planted near tomato plants were filmed for several days. And in the time-lapse video, it's revealed that daughter is flailing around, tasting the air like a snake, until it finally brushes a plant stem. And in, in their, their experiment, they used a tomato plant. And then it encircles its victim and eventually sinks those tiny nozzles into the tomato plant to suck out its juices. Well, they thought that the way that daughter found its host, because it chooses the host, and the tomato plant was the nearest thing, so you'd think, well, it's just is flailing around, and when it comes in contact with the host, it twines around it. But actually, it doesn't do that to every plant. It's uh, particular about the ones it wants to attack. Now, a lot of vines that twine do circle the air until they connect with a host, and when they, well, a host for support. And when they do, cells on one side of the stems grow faster than the cells on the other, and that's how it twines. But daughter, uh, it, it's searching the air in small circles and probing the surroundings, uh, but it's not just looking for a support, it's looking for a specific plant, and in this, in the case of the video, a tomato, uh, which when it finds, or even senses, according to the research, it bends and grows towards that plant uh, for it to get its food and, and support, not only physically, but uh, nutritionally. Now, an experiment was set up with two plexiglass boxes and one of the boxes had a new daughter plant that was uh, germinating from seed and the other one had a tomato plant and the two plexiglass boxes were linked by a tube a plexiglass tube and the daughter searched around for a plant but went right to the tube through the tube to get to the, to the tomato plant so what they're hypothesizing is that plants have a sense of smell, that the daughter can find its host plant by sniffing through the air. Now this research is of little comfort to me, <laughs> because however the daughter does it and however it finds its host, I've got to get rid of it. Uh, if this daughter uh, sets seed, I will have much more many more plants of daughter, and that's the case with all of the weeds that have come that came through the floods of last summer. Now these plants are flowering, soon they'll go to seed, and if I don't do something about that, I'm going to have 
tens to thousands of times as many weeds next year and probably for the rest of my life <laughs> on this property. So I've got to go around and at the very least deadhead cut away those flowering tops that really the weeds have to go. And of course pulling out the weeds disturbs the earth below them and that may allow new weed seeds to germinate to colonize the area but with hope being late August there won't be time for those new sprouting weeds to flower and set seed and infect the soil again. Well I use the word soil kind of loosely because as those who follow the show know I'm uh, gardening in sand now and uh, it's hard to find any soil. Uh, well at Margaret's uh, Adam Wheeler who's been a guest on the show and uh, works at Broken Arrow Nursery in Connecticut. He, he drove up with a truckload of incredible plants. So, of course, some of them came home with me. And I have to find places for them. And there's no place on this property that I can plant a plant without weeding first. Because the entire, all the beds are covered with weeds or plants that I want. And most of those are covered with weeds. So I have to weed pull off some bindweed, pull off some polygonum. There's so many different kinds of polygonum I've never seen before. There's binding ones and they're all flowering right now. I've got to pull them off to find spaces to plant and also to expose even trees. There's trees in the garden that have vines all the way up to the top of them, weed vines, and plants, weeds, I've never had before. It's uh, more than a little daunting and certainly more than I can do and that I can do alone, even if I was in the best of health. If you've dealt with Dotter in your garden, uh, send me a line at KenDrewsRealDirt at Yahoo.com. Now I had another surprise in the garden this year, uh, some, something quite uh, strange, but not completely horrible. Several years ago, I got a delivery of compost from a local compost maker, and they use a lot of uh, discarded waste, vegetable waste, from the local supermarkets. And years ago, uh, some squash vines appeared out of the top of the compost, and it was butternut squash, and they were just exactly butternut squash. And I was happy to have them and harvested them, and they were wonderful. This year some squash appeared on the top of the compost pile again, and I was pretty hopeful that it was going to be more squash, more butternut squash. But the leaves didn't look exactly like butternut squash. They, they were dark green splashed with silver, kind of like watermelon leaves. And so I thought, oh, well, let's see what happens. Or maybe they're pumpkins. Well, they grew and grew. And uh, in, in late summer, in the heat, and we've had lots of rain, they completely covered the driveway. There's barely room for the car. And the it's just like this uh, monster that ate the driveway. I don't mind so much because I'll compost those leaves. And I was looking forward to some fruit. Well, for quite a while when the plants were small, it was all male flowers. And that's pretty. And I thought maybe I'll, maybe I'll cut them and fill them with ricotta cheese and make some stuff squash flowers, which of course I didn't do. And I, I looked forward to the female flowers and to getting some squash, maybe some wonderful surprising squash. And of course the female flowers came and the squash fruit started to form. 
And they were getting a little big, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll try a young one. And I picked a young one and looked around, and there was one that was about six inches long. So I picked that one, too. And I was extremely hopeful, and I brought the fruits inside, and I, I got ready to steam them. So I sliced them open, and I tried a little raw piece, because I do that with yellow summer squash or with yellow or green zucchini. And I tasted it, and it was really kind of strange and very bitter. And the flavor didn't leave my mouth for like an hour, but I thought, well, what do I know? So I'll steam those, and uh, we'll discover what I have, some surprise, some reverted squash relative. So I steamed them, and they were a little salt and pepper, and it tasted like kind of strange nothing with salt and pepper and a little bitter aftertaste. So that's not too successful. But fortunately, I don't have to compost those fruits. They're going to go to Greenwood Gardens, where the goats and chickens will, I'm sure, enjoy them. And of course, the driveway is filled with fruits, and none of the fruits look alike. None of them look like zucchini. None of them look like squash. Some of them look like gourds. And it's it's really interesting because all the leaves of all the plants are the same, that dark green with silver splashing, but none of the fruits look the same. So there must be several plants there producing all different kinds of fruits. There's one that's striped kind of a pale celadon green with darker green, and it's all ribbed and puckered and dimpled and gnarly and carbuncled and then there are some smooth green ones that uh, who knows what they used to be i think there might be some pumpkins coming too i guess i'll find out but uh, as far as having delicious edible butternut squash for free no won't have those But as I said, I will be able to compost those leaves and make some more compost, and the fruit will not go to waste. The driveway is just about the sunniest spot on the entire property. And so in containers this year, I tried a couple of the tomatoes that were recommended, uh, and you might have heard about them on earlier shows. And you can also check back through the archives and hear about the, the winners of the tomato tasting contests. And one that I tried is called uh, Brandy Boy. It's a hybrid that's supposed to be like brandy wine, the just about the most popular heritage heirloom variety. And another one was from Japan, a grape tomato called Sakura Honey. Now, there have been years in this garden when I've planted tomatoes even on the driveway in the sunniest spot and have had absolutely no fruit because it's just such a short season here, and some years it doesn't get hot enough, or it, and some years it gets too hot. But uh, usually the season's so short that I don't get any tomatoes, but when I came back from my weekend, and week away in Brooklyn, New York, and then a weekend in Co- Copake Falls, I was surprised that there's fruit on, on all of the plants. Not a lot, but just beginning to turn red uh, late, but beginning to turn red. So I think if we don't have a frost in early September, I'm going to have a nice harvest. Well, the Sakura honey are grape tomatoes, and they are sweet and tart and quite tasty. They're large for grape tomatoes, but I have to say that the Brandy Boy is a really good tomato. A lot of people love tomatoes, and I am not one of those people. I don't like tomatoes, except in August when I like them a whole lot.
but the rest of the year I could take or leave a tomato, especially when it tastes like cardboard. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Because there's, uh, well, there's always the plum tomatoes, which I do kind of like and buy them throughout the year. But when you go into a restaurant and you get uh, maybe a sandwich with tomatoes or, or a salad with tomatoes that really have virtually no flavor, it's hardly worth the effort of chewing. Well, I'm glad that I have tomatoes. I'm surprised that I have these odd squash. I hate that I have daughter. I'm glad I had a wonderful, successful weekend in Copake Falls. And be sure to look online uh, at my site and at Margaret's site, and you can learn more about Copake Falls week uh, weekend because you might want to go next year. And please do join me again next week for another edition of Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. I hope to have a guest next week so you don't have to just listen to me. See you then.